podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Hunt. Joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Just, you know, happy the World Cup has now kicked off. It's good to have some, like, proper football back in our lives um, for a good few weeks now. So, kicked off in a really, really good fashion as well with that 5-0 win. So, yeah, I'm I'm good. How are you? It, it, it does have to be said, I'm not sure I would classify today's Russia versus Saudi Arabia game as proper football. But, uh, no, but it <laughs> I was, do, I do know what you mean, though. <laughs> there were some, yeah, there were some good goals on on show, and it is, you know, if a game like that is ending in five 0 with some good goals in, then it bodes well for for the tournament as a whole. So it's just nice to nice to see some football, and you know, nice to have the sun shining as well. Yeah, the sun is out, and there, there is some genuine football on the television, so you can't go much wrong with that. I, for one, am extremely excited for the Morocco-Iran game that I'm going to miss because of work tomorrow. Um, joining myself and Leanne this week is Sam Evans. Sam, how are you, my friend? Yeah, good, thanks, Tom. Um, only problem is the World Cup started, so it just reminded me that Wales failed to qualify yet again. Uh, so, so I'm a little bit gutted about that. A uh, little bit baffled about the lack of support for England by English people as well. Uh, being Welsh, we're very patriotic ourselves. So um, it's kind of nice to have the distraction from the fact that we haven't qualified and we can talk about uh, Liverpool a bit. I, I, This is the most I've, the most English support I think I've seen for a major international tournament for a while from England. Although maybe that's just my own view on it being that I don't hate them this time around, which is obviously an upgrade on two years ago. Um no, yeah, I mean, how do you feel knowing that Saudi Arabia, who are probably, you know, the world's most terrible international side, they're not, obviously, there are lots of worse sides that didn't make it, but Saudi Arabia were absolutely dire today. How do you feel knowing that they made it and you guys didn't? Oh, you don't need to rub it in, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> there's, there's some real dross in this tournament as well. So looking through and just thinking someone like Gareth Bale won't get to play in the World Cup when there's you know, teams like that out there, it is, it is a bit disappointing, mate. But uh, uh, one thing about England is I did draw them in the Anfield Index uh, sweep, so uh, I'm actually going to be supporting England through gritted teeth to try and win, win the sweep, yeah. yeah. Hello, Nigeria. Um, so we'll kick straight off with some of the articles then. We've got a couple of great articles on this week. Sadly, we couldn't get... Either of the writers on for the, for various reasons, and we're going to kick off with Joe Norton's article on Alberto Moreno, which is a really really interesting piece that Joe's written here, and it's on whether or not he basically argues that Moreno shouldn't be our second choice left back next season. Um, I'm sure Guy Drinkle listening in would agree because he feels that Alberto Moreno should be our first choice left back um, <laughs> next season. Um, but no, the article basically argues that um, he does a sort of brief comparison with talking a bit about obviously Robertson and talking about how Robertson's taken taking the, uh, the Premier League by storm, and how Moreno doesn't compare favourably to him. But he also argues that Moreno has shown this season in particular that he only really plays particularly well when he gets a good run of games going, when he gets a, a bit of a rhythm, a bit of form. Um, so the kind of key point of the article, I think, is basically, look, Moreno is the sort of player that needs to play five, ten games in a row in order to be somewhere near his best. He's not the sort of player who's going to come on 
and just make an impact off the bench. Was not the sort of player who's going to um, go in for the odd game and, and play particularly well. We've seen that this season, the likes of, um, for example, the West Brom game where he came in for one game and was awful, that sort of thing. So from, from, from Joe's perspective, we're better off selling Moreno and buying someone who can make a sort of an, maybe not an instant impact, but someone who is better shaped to being a second choice left back because that's not really what Moreno is there to do. Um, so I'll, um, we'll start with you, obviously, Sam, uh, and I'll let you, I mean, we'll talk a bit about Robertson in a minute and a bit about the, the, the minutiae of the article. But what are your overall thoughts on Moreno and what are your overall thoughts on his position within the side? Yeah, I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten just how good Moreno was before he got his injury. Um, you know, he, he took a couple of games to get into it, but he, he showed massive, massive improvement on his form in the previous season. So I think the work that Klopp's been doing, you know, he put him out to the limelight for quite a, a long part of the previous season. And then when it came to this season, you know, he started off and I thought he played really, really well. He was doing a job for the team. He, he's, he's got the pace. He bombs forward. And you know, I thought he was showing vast signs of improvement. So when he got injured, I was actually disappointed that we'd have to put uh, Robertson in. Um, so, you know, it's, I think it's a bit, a bit harsh on the guy. You know, obviously we'll come on to a bit further detail, but personally, I think he, he is a bit of an underrated player for us. Okay. Interesting, interesting opinion there to kick off the pod. And Liana, about you now, of course, what are your overall thoughts on Moreno and where do you see him stacking up over the next 12 months and the next uh, 24 months? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because, you know, um, I would agree that a lot of people sort of dis- disregard how good he was at the start of the season purely because of how good Robertson's been for the rest of the season. And, you know, when he's settled into that left back role and he's really, really solved a problem position for Liverpool. Um, but Moreno, you know, did have his good parts of the season when, as he said, he got into that rhythm with the, the good run of games that he, he had and he enjoyed. Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting one because it, it's one that for me depends heavily on what we're going into the transfer window with in terms of money. And in terms of the areas Klopp is looking to, to improve upon, because if he's looking to get a goalkeeper in, a centre-back in, obviously we've brought in Fabinho as well and, and a couple of other players such as Jordan Sakiri, then, you know, it, that has to have a factor because if you're then talking about selling Moreno, uh, as I'm sure we're going to come on to, you then need a, another left back to come in to offer some backup to Robertson in case there's an injury there. So again, that's, that's a factor that needs to be explored. But in terms of Moreno, Specifically, I think he, he did have a good start to the season. I think he does offer something to Liverpool. Okay, he's a bit erratic, um, you know, especially defensively. He's got a very, very strange style of tackle that I think me and Adam refer to as the scissor, just in terms of him sort of curling his body around in the most unusual angle and somehow clawing the ball away from the opposition. Um, but he does have something to offer going forward and maybe there's a role there for him in the future in terms of you know, to bring on as a winger, to offer a bit of more defensive cover, but then to allow him to showcase his attacking ability. So, you know, as I said, it's an interesting one. We'll have to see what Jurgen Klopp decides, but it's one that depends on, you know, our overall aims for the summer transfer window as well. Yeah, some really interesting points there. Um, the, uh, the myth that Moreno is a good attacking player is an interesting one, which I think we'll get to in a minute. Um, before we go on to talk about Moreno, actually no, yeah, let's go. Let's talk about Moreno's strengths and weaknesses first. Let's kick off with that. Um, 
So Sam, what do you think the, the better parts of Moreno's game are, and where do you think his biggest weaknesses are? Um, because Leanne mentions he's a really good attacking outlet, but this season in particular, that's something that we just haven't seen. So is that a tactical thing? Is it more that he's a he's being used as a more defensive option this season, or do you just think that he's maybe not quite as good as attacking as some people suggest he is? Um, well, regards to strengths with Marino, I think it's definitely the the, the more going forward side of the game uh, rather than defensively. Um, Joe put some stats on the article actually about his aerial prowess, and I think he was around in the thirty percent kind of category for. Aerial duels won, so I think that's you know a, a big big weakness of his game, and obviously is something that he has to deal with with his with his height disadvantage. So I think that's his his biggest weakness when it comes to his his strengths. It's his sheer directness and aggressiveness with the ball at his feet. Um, so yeah, I think when 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 it comes to Marino, I think that's pretty much where he sometimes can look a bit better than uh, Robertson, but. To be fair to Robertson, I think as the season went on, he just took on to another level completely, which then made me completely forget about the form that Moreno was showing at the start of the season. But, you know, going forward, I think Moreno is someone who has developed and developed under Klopp. And, you know, he's still not, he's not old, you know, he's, he's still a young player, really. So I'm, I'm someone that isn't that bothered about getting rid of Moreno. I don't think it's a priority for Liverpool at the moment. I think we've got other priorities in the transfer market this window. So I'm more than happy to keep him where he is at the moment and, you know, just see how we go with the left back slot. Okay. And moving on to Leanne then, what do you think the, the, the sort of the, the best areas of Moreno's game are and where do you think he still needs to be improving? As you said, I don't want to come across that Moreno is this, you know, wonderful attacker and he can do no wrong. I think it's, it's hard because if you're talking in terms of his strengths, they are going forward and that needs to sort of have some backdrop in terms of it's kind of a showcase of how bad he is defensively as well as him being good going forward. Um, but I think in terms of strengths, it's, you know, you're looking at his, uh, take ons, his ability to run down the wing. Okay. Sometimes his delivery is off. Um, but it's that you know turn of pace that he's got and that ability and the confidence to take people on. Um, Sam mentioned that you know the article has some good statistics in it and just to pick one out, Moreno has the highest successful take-ons out of um, himself and Robertson, which we'll come on to in a minute, uh, with 66.67% compared to Robertson's 56.25. So you know, okay, Robertson's you know played more games and that's not necessarily saying that anything's come of those take-ons in terms of, of a goal or anything but it does show that Moreno does have something to offer maybe in that final third just as I said that tone of pace that bit of ingenuity about him I mean you know people counteract that by saying okay but he's very very unpredictable and yes I hold my hands up to that but I think when you're looking at a player that isn't going to play very many games for Liverpool as I said before if you if you've got the ability to put him on let's say the left wing he offers that bit of defensive cover, but he also has the freedom then to go forward to to use those take-ons, use that turn of pace to our advantage. Um, so so in terms of strength, that's definitely where I'm I'm looking at uh, for Moreno. I think you know there's a lot of areas he does struggle with, particularly when he's in his own third. Um, but that's maybe one where you've got to give him a little bit of credit just to you know be be fair to the guy. 
what what I would say about his take on is even though his percentage is quite high, his actual numbers are really low. He only he only does 0.4 take ons a game, so that's not you know that's less than one every two games. So he only takes on someone once every two games. Really, it's not not massively high. Um, similarly, if you want to talk about creativity, you talk about end product. That's always been a question mark I've had over Moreno. He does get in good positions, put in crosses, but his crosses are generally of a really low quality. Um, he ends up with because he he's uh, his xg per ninety, which is another point mentioned in the article. His um his xa sorry his xa per ninety is not point not six, which is um the lowest of any of our fullbacks. Even uh, like Joe Gomez is often uh, treated as someone who plays basically as a, as a member of the back three at times, and he's his is not point not seven. Trent's is not point one four, which is over twice as much, and of course Robbo's. So the quality and Robbo is not point two two. So the quality of the of the crosses put into the box, Robertson produces nearly four times as high in terms of XA per ninety. That's that's pretty it's pretty damning. And as far as Moreno goes, like that's a pretty impressive uh, product end product for, Mar- for Robertson, especially when you consider that Moreno is used in a slightly more more attacking role. Um, in terms of weaknesses, I think the biggest weakness in Moreno's game is his recklessness. Is his, is he does tend to jump into tackles. He, he does make a lot of tackles, 2.2 tackles per, per game compared to Robbo's 1.4. And he's the fourth highest in our squad in terms of dribble pass. He gets dribble pass once a game on average, which is, is not great by any, any stretch of the, any stretch of the imagination. So that, that is a worry for me, but maybe he overcommits himself too much and ends himself getting put in situations where he does get taken on and beaten far too easily. Um, for comparison, Robbo gets beaten 0.6 times a game. So that it's quite, it's you know, it's almost twice as often that Moreno will find himself in trouble than it, than Robbo would. The, um, the only thing, the only thing I'd say is, um, sort of in in Moreno's defence, and this isn't necessarily my personal point of view, is that we also have to have a bit of, you know, Robertson is the person that is going to be playing the majority of Liverpool's games at left back. So Moreno, we're not saying is on par with Robertson in any way, shape, or form. Robertson is clearly, as you said, you know, he's the one that can deliver the quality crosses into the box and actually produce something in the final third. So if you are better at take-ons and yet they lead to nothing, it doesn't really matter, and that's completely true. But this is a player that's acting as a backup, not as a mainstay in that starting eleven. So I think it's important when we're looking at the question of should Moreno be a backup, it's not is he comparable to Robertson. It's no, he's absolutely not, but is he good enough to be a backup? And so what we're actually looking from you know, in, in terms of what we want from a left back backup is that potentially that bit of versatility to come in as a winger, offer the defensive cover and yet offer something going forward. OK, he's not the best in terms of final third end product, but he still offers something. My, my, my response to that is that he's not just offering, he's not, it's not in context, he's not just offering less than Robertson, he's offering less than almost anyone in the squad. He's got one of the lowest numbers in the squad. He's getting less than us. He's getting on a par with our centre backs in terms of Virgil and Lovren. So I, I wouldn't say he's necessarily just offering less than than Robertson. I'm I'm trying to draw a comparison between the entire squad, and I don't think if you put him up to the entire squad, I don't think he stacks up stacks up well at all in any in any area. If I'm being completely honest. Um, Sam, what do you make of that then? Specifically, I'll just move quick. Like, I'll just give you sort of the time to talk a little bit about how you feel about Robertson and Moreno. Do you feel that Moreno is in the same caliber as Robertson, or do you feel as though, for you personally, it's clear that Robertson is streets ahead at the moment? Well, regards to Moreno, wasn't there a bit on the article that said he'd had 
three assists in his seven starts. So the, the, there was that bit there which kind of stuck stuck out for me for an actual really good statistic for him. Obviously, it's a very small sample size. That's the only thing about that. And assists can sometimes give you a bit of a a false reading. You know, you can end up getting a deflected shot going in and, and it counts as an assist. So I'm not so sure about that, but that looked like um, decent figures for him, to be fair to the guy. Um, totally agree with you when it comes to Moreno's flaws, when it comes to making tackles in our box or in danger zones. He seems to be quite rash and overly aggressive and he, he has got that tendency to dive in. Um, that scissor crazy tackle that Leanne was talking about, as you said, I've never seen anything like it from any other player. It's absolutely bonkers. Uh, he leaves the ground with both feet. So, you know, you could get in trouble for that as well. But one thing I will say is when he was getting the run of games, he was doing that as a recovery tackle because he's got some electrifying pace. And when he does make mistakes, he does tend to get back and then put that tackle in and, and win the ball more often than not. But, you know, it is something that it leaves my heart in my mouth every time because it's so incredibly rash and out of control. And you just know that, you know, he will end up costing us penalties and, and free kicks in dangerous areas for that reason. Um, there was a time when I thought that they, Robertson and Marina were on a similar kind of level, but in fairness to Robertson, he, he's taken on a completely different level now. And I think that it's something that is unassailable, really. And I can't see Moreno ever getting to the level that Robertson has shown at the end of last season. So uh, personally, I think he is someone that I'm happy to keep you know, knocking around as a second choice. If he's someone that's happy to do it, he seems to get along well with a lot of the players as well. Um, you know, the Brazilian contingent, he seems to get on well with as well. So it's, it's also something that he seems happy at the club, despite the fact that he's had his position taken off him. So, you know, if he seems to have a good attitude, he doesn't seem to be sulking. So if he's someone that is happy to stay as a second choice, then that is something difficult to get hold of and something difficult to find. So I'd be surprised if you could find someone willing to do that who is of his standard as well. Um, you know, so personally, I think there's not a massive difference between the two, but I think Robertson is showing that he is, you know, definitely the better of the two players. Um, we, we'll continue to have him going forward. If in the worst case scenario, we get an injury to Robertson, it's not going to be the end of the world if, if Moreno has to actually step in. Okay. Some really interesting and, and balanced points there. Um, so I want to move on to talk about the, the sort of the thing that Joe gets out in the article, which is the rhythm. And I'll stick with you on this one, Sam. What do you think about Joe's point or rather his argument that someone like Moreno, we're only going to see the best of him when he's playing consistently and that it's not necessarily fair on him to keep putting him in situations where he's only going to be starting maybe once every couple of weeks or, you know, once every five games and for him to be expected to come in and put in a decent performance when that's not necessarily the better side of his game. So what do you make of that sort of argument that's maybe, maybe, better to get in someone who is a specialist backup left back if that makes sense yeah i can totally see where joe's coming from with that argument because that's the exact evidence that we saw last season you know he had a he had a long run of games and he started to really show some excellent form and then when he did have to just dip in without having played for a long time he had a couple of stinkers so you know i totally see where joe's coming from 
on that argument. It it totally makes sense based on the evidence from last season. But to be honest with you, I think most players are they, they need games in order to show their true form. There, there's very few players out there who can just come in off the cuff, you know, having not played for ten games or more, and then just perform to the top level. If they are good enough to do that, usually they're a player that will be able to start for the team. So, you know, I think it's it's a tough ask to find someone who is actually a specialist at being a reserve left back. I personally can't think of anyone out there who who would be ideal for that role. Um, you know, it it's it's something that all players need. You know, rhythm. That's something that all players need to to build up some form and build up a relationship with the players around them. So it's it's always going to be diff- difficult. So I think it's a bit, a little bit harsh on Albi uh, to say that you know he's someone that just won't be able to perform on the off chance. It's just something that I think that you just have to deal with when you get injuries to your mainstays. Uh, the the replacement is going to take some time to kind of bed in again. I, yeah, I would agree completely. I think you know this is something that's the case for most footballers. Only the very, very top players can come in out of the blue and you know hit effectively just hit hit the ground running. You know, yeah. and if they're that good, they're going to be in the starting eleven, as Sam said. So it, it's an interesting one because I completely agree with the principle. This is a player who, when he, when we saw him at his best at the early stages of the season, it was because of that rhythm and that momentum that he was able to build up. And when he comes in sporadically, he's therefore, you know, his performances suffer. But as as we've said, that's the case with a lot of players. And so to, to pinpoint that as a reason that Moreno has to be sold is, I agree, it, it's a bit harsh. Um, we also need to remember that, you know, Klopp is going to experiment during pre-season. It's a time when a lot of the fringe players will get minutes um, in order to improve their game and keep fit and things like that. So, Moreno could well find himself getting a couple of games or at least half a game um, for the majority of pre-season. And that will help him just you know, keep fit, keep that rhythm going, keep a bit of momentum. And yes, there will be large periods of the season where he's not playing. But, you know, if we're the likelihood is he may come in if we've got a Champions League game and then a, a Premier League game off the back of that against a relatively you know, poor side within the Premier League. Um, and so the demands of that game are maybe less so than you know the the performances Robertson has to produce. So again, it's just a bit of context. Really, this is something that happens with a lot of players, and so I, I don't see it being. I don't think you can use it as a principle as to why we should sell him because the player you're going to bring in is going to have the same problem. Okay, so um, I have uh, kind of two further questions. We'll sort of we'll try and squash these together. Um, so. Uh, Sam, I'll go to you on this one first. Um, so, assuming that, for example, we don't just want to go out and buy a specialist backup left-back, do you think there's an argument to be made that we could buy a left-back who's good enough to challenge Robertson without spending lots and lots of money? Um, and if so, do you have any suggestions as to who that might be? The other obvious obvious point that Leanne's made, and we'll sort of factor this in, is do you think it's worth going out and trying to buy another left-back um, just for the sake of upgrading a position that we are kind of comfortable with at the moment, or do you feel as though that's probably a bit of extra hassle on a window where we've got clear clear other priorities? Yeah, I, I really don't think it's a priority at all for us to go down that road. Um, you know, if we are looking at alternatives, 
obviously someone that's been knocking about uh, that everyone's raving about is, is Ryan Sessegnon, but I don't think he's a left-back or is going to be going forward, to be honest. But he, he could be a bit like Trent is on the other side for us, you know, in the fact that he might have his future further up the field. Um, you know, I'd be delighted if we managed to get him in, Ryan Sessegnon. I think he had, I think it was 16 goals in the championship last season and eight assists. You know, that, that's someone who has got an end product. And with this attacking Liverpool side, then he might actually do a job as a left back because our left backs are so pushed so far forward in this Jurgen Klopp system that I think he just take to it like a duck to water and you never know with his talent he might even surpass um Robertson as well. So, you know, he's someone I'd I'd really be keen for us to get if we could. But I you know, I'm not I'm really not fussed. If it's not someone like that that's really exciting, then I'm more than happy with our, you know, our two left backs at present. It's it's something that's been a, a problem area for us for a long time. But with Robertson there, mate, touch wood as long as he doesn't get any injuries. We're absolutely sorted in that position. Um, you know, if you wanted to be safe and get someone else that, that, that might be able to cover Ryan Bertrand, someone like that, but, you know, it doesn't excite me or anything. It's just, just someone who'll do a job for you, you know, but he, he again will probably want to be starting in the team. So I'm not even sure if he'd want to do the job that Moreno's doing now. So, um, yeah, personally, mate, I think leave it there unless we can get someone like Sessignon and, uh, you know, let, let's concentrate on other areas. Leanne, one question I do have for you is if we do decide to let Moreno go, do we need to necessarily go out and replace him? We've got players like Nathaniel Klein or Joe Gomez, for example, in the squad who can play left back. We've currently got, you know, three right backs vying for one spot and two of them can play left back. So do you think there's an argument for someone like Joe Gomez to be made the backup left back rather than the right back allowing, allowing Klein and Trent to fight for that one spot? Interesting question because you know, we've seen Joe Gomez at left back a couple of times and he's, he's not looked awful. You know, he's looked, okay, not, not as comfortable as on his favoured side, but he can do a job there. So it's an interesting question. And again, it depends on how Klopp sees Joe Gomez, whether he's really trying to hone him in as a centre back now. And, and we'll see that in pre-season, whether that's the case, because he's played a lot of his minutes as a right back. And if, if Klopp's happy to keep him as a fullback, that, that is something that we could see if Moreno is let go. And the only issue with that, obviously, is Gomez doesn't have that ability like Trent or like Klein to, to really get forward. He seems a little bit uncomfortable to do so. Um, and when he has, you know, his end product's not great. But OK, we've, we've said that that can be the case with Moreno. So it's an interesting one because I wouldn't be, you know, ag- against that idea as long as Hop isn't trying to hone him in as a centre-back. If he is, then I can't see us selling Moreno. And, and if we do, I would love us to go out and sign someone like Sessegnon. That's the sort of the only way I could see something like this happening. Um, but I, I think overall for me, it's, it's just one that, as Sam said before, and as you said, it's not really a, a huge priority for Liverpool during this window. We're going to come on to, you know, the significance of the transfer window this summer. And really, we've gone into it and I've not been thinking we need a left back cover here. You know, that's one of the top three targets we've got. And that's not necessarily saying Moreno's adequate he's up to standard but it's saying that there's so many other things that we need to be looking at selling Moreno seems to just overcomplicate the summer a little bit um but yeah if if we did let him go for for some reason it would be interesting to see the likes of Klein and Gomez operating in that left back position unless we can go and get Sessignon or someone else for relatively cheap 
Yeah, I mean, I think that for me personally, I think there's lots of interesting points about this about this debate. I think I think for me, Robertson is the clear first choice. I don't I don't think Moreno was anything special when he, I thought he was okay when he played. I thought he was getting overhyped quite a bit by a few people who who liked him quite a lot already and were just happy he wasn't being terrible. Um, so I do like Moreno, but I don't think he's anything special. I don't really. I, I think I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you two. I don't really see the need to go out and overcomplicate the window by making left back an area we have to address because I don't think it is an area we have to address. I think I'm I'm happy to see him play 10, 15 games a season. He's not going to really play more than that. So um, yeah, I'm more than happy to see um, see Robbo play the majority of our games and, and Moreno make up the numbers. Um, but nevertheless, I do agree with Joe that it's a very very interesting interesting discussion to be had and I do kind of agree with Joe to the extent that I don't necessarily think Moreno's good enough to be a le- to be our left back if something does happen to Robbo so to that extent maybe there's a question to be had there um but we'll move on anyway I think there's a it's a shame Joe Joe couldn't get couldn't come on to um to fight his side because I feel like that would have made would have been really 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 interesting to see um but we'll move on to the window then and we'll talk about uh Dave Comerford's article which is about how Liverpool have made a really encouraging start to the window um, he talks about how obviously the windows kicked off in really big fashion with Fabinho being signed and we've already got Naby coming in. Um, talks about how the midfield's looking completely different already and how that's only going to look better if we can bring in Nebul Fakir. Obviously, we don't really know what's happening with Fakir and we'll come to talk about that in a minute. And he talks about how we've got a positive reinforcement in the sense we're looking for a goalkeeper and we know how important that is to the squad right now. He mentions Alisson, which is another one we'll come on to talk about. Um, in a bit of detail in, in a little while. And then he obviously mentions the likes of Simon, Simon, Shakir. So the sort of the wing options that we're looking at at the moment. So he kind of goes on, he basically says, you know, this is a window that needed to be good for Liverpool and has started in a positive fashion. And it's encouraging to see Liverpool sort of looking at the right areas that need to be targeted rather than going for X, Y and Z. So um, we'll kick off with a brief discussion of how important the window is, as Leanne alluded to already. Uh, and Sam, obviously, we'll start with you on this one. So how do you feel this window is in terms of importance compared to last year? But obviously, last year was a big window in terms of getting back into the Champions League. But do you think this is a, an even bigger window in the sense that Liverpool have got that, those back-to-back Champions Leagues? We've kind of established ourselves as being a big club. So now we've got that sort of springboard to launch. How important is it for you that we have a big window? I think it's absolutely vital that we have a really good window this time around. Um, the last couple of times when we had a good season previously, we really failed in the transfer window that, that the following summer. Uh, thinking of 13-14 when they came second, then they followed it up with some really poor signings in the transfer market. Um, I think if Liverpool now continue to sign players as they have been so far, of the standard that they're looking at, which is guaranteed starters, you know, top, top level players, then that's only going to enhance our chances then to go on and win trophies next season, you know, give us a chance to attack the league. And if we can do that now, while our stock is really high and, and really sort out the problems in this squad, then the chances of Liverpool then keeping hold of their big name players, you know, Salah, Mane, there's murmurings of going as well. You know, these guys are more likely to stay then if we do actually manage to get to the pinnacle. So I think now's the time to strike. After we've been to a Champions League final, people want to play for Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp at this moment in time. You know, Brendan Rodgers never had the kind of pull that Jurgen Klopp had. And it's only now that Jurgen Klopp has got 
has managed to showcase Liverpool in the Champions League, that people can actually see just what can be possible. And I, you know, I can't think of a team that that'll be more fun to play for than this Liverpool team. So I think we're at our most attractive that we've been in a heck of a long time. So now's our chance to really get the checkbook out. You know, there should be plenty of money knocking about after the uh, the Coutinho sale and not spending a full budget last uh, last summer as well. So I think now's the time to really capitalise on this, fill in all the problem areas and, you know, really kick off the season and have a good attack at the league. Leanne, strike while the iron is hot. Is that something you agree with? Do you think this window that we're going into is more or less important than last season? Um, I I agree. I completely agree with Sam, but I am tending to slightly less important than last season. What's your take on that? I agree with Sam. I think it's it's a very, very important window. Um, we had a good season and we've got ourselves to the Champions League final pretty much when no one really expected us to because of our lack of squad depth, especially when you look at other teams in the competition like Manchester City, for example. Um, and so we've got to build on that. There's there's no point standing still. Obviously, you've got to go out and get that added bit of depth, that added bit of quality, whether that being goal or centre-back, and bringing in the likes of Fabinho, who, you know, defensive mid, we haven't really targeted since Mascherano left eight years ago. So that's huge for Liverpool and really a signal that, you know, this club isn't standing still. It's looking to bridge that gap. Um, in terms of comparing it to last season, last season was about retaining our place in the top four and, and keeping that Champions League spot. And, while that's still the case, it's still very, very important, not just financially, but, you know, to, to attract the top players, you need to show that you're in the, in the Champions League, you know, permanently. Uh, but it's very much now about targeting the domestic trophy, taking that next step and looking to close the gap on Manchester City. Um, because you need to be challenging for trophies, you need to have that bit of silverware if you want to keep the likes of Salamane and Firmino. And that's something we've seen in the past, why the likes of Suarez and, and Coutinho have maybe drifted from Liverpool, because as good as as good as the times have been, we've not really sealed it or capped it off with a trophy. And if that continues to happen, maybe you know maybe we're going to find ourselves in a similar position with those three. So I think last season was obviously very very important to get that back to that Champions League spot. But this season is now building on that, taking that next step, and really pushing ourselves to to close that gap and get a trophy. Because um, from my point of view, and I've always said this on, on writers' podcasts and on other podcasts, is that Liverpool's attack especially, but Liverpool's way of football really, I think is the second best in the league, um, bettered only by Manchester City. So there's no reason why we can't be up there challenging next season if we go out in this transfer window and we continue to really target some problem areas. OK, so talking about targeting problem areas... Um... The midfield was an issue that has been addressed time and time and time again over the course of the last six months. Everyone's been discussing how we don't have enough creativity in the midfield, we don't have a DM, we don't have this, we don't have that. So um, Liverpool have obviously already addressed this issue. Um, we'd obviously already addressed the, Na- the, the Naby Keita issue last summer, and he's a player that's that's finally going to be joining the squad this summer. And I mean, I, I don't know how you two feel about Naby, but I personally feel as though he isn't, I, I, think, I think there aren't enough superlatives in the world to describe the impact he's going to have on our midfield. Um, Sam, going back to you then, how important do you think it is that Liverpool have already secured someone of the quality of Fabinho in that defensive midfield role to go alongside Cater? And how overall do you feel as though the midfield is shaping up compared to how it how it was last summer? And how important do you to the squad do you feel that is? I'm first of all absolutely delighted that we've managed to get Fabinho in to supplement the old you know, 
the, the signing of Nabi Keita as well. Um, the, the main reason why I'm so happy with the signing of Fabinho is I, I really thought that one of the most important signings we need to make this summer was to potentially upgrade on Dejan Lovren. But with the signing of Fabinho, my anxiety about that has reduced quite a lot because I didn't think Klopp would be going down the route of having a defensive midfielder in the team. So the fact that he's gone down that road should really plug the hole that has been gaping in this Liverpool midfield for quite some time. Um, you know, him in addition to Keita, who is one of the most exciting, aggressive midfield players in, in world football. I think it's, it's so, so exciting and I cannot wait for the new season. You know, the midfield was something that I was the most concerned about. And I, I, we, we saw in a number, number of the big games where teams were absolutely bypassing our midfield. You know, all of our midfielders were decent. But I don't think any of them were anywhere near world class level. These two guys that we've got in have got the potential to be world class level. So that's a really exciting thing. The only guy who I was happy with in our midfield previously was Emery Chan and he's going. So, um, I think it's an absolutely superb start to the window. And the fact that we made those signings is why that I'm not so bothered about the whole Fakir situation. Um, I think that's something that we probably will revisit after the World Cup, so we might even end up getting Fakir anyway. But, you know, I think it's something that... It, it's a superb start to the window. I think there's clearly other areas that we need to address, which we'll discuss maybe further on now. But at the moment, really, really happy. And I'm... You know, even if we don't make any other signings, we're, we're in a much better position than we were last season already. Yeah, yeah I agree. I Sorry. agree. Sorry, I think there's um, you know, been huge steps made to improve the midfield, and it's it's one of those areas that Liverpool have been you know criticised for um, this season, particularly in terms of lacking in quality, um, in terms of you know that front three being so good in the midfield, maybe just necessarily not necessarily showing the same class and, and, and quality, and so for me, Fabinho is is a key key signing. As Sam says, it's it's not really a position Klopp has opted to utilise uh, during his time at the club, and something you know people have pointed out to say Klopp's going against the script in many ways because he asks not for a defensive midfield, but he asks for a midfielder who is able to sort of complete both roles in in many ways. And so Fabinho, he comes in and he exerts real control over that midfield, and he can nip in with an interception, he can read the play really well. Um, and as I mentioned before. You know, he fills a gap left by Mascherano. Um, I did an article last week, which we didn't really manage to, to touch on in the end. Um, but it was about comparing the two and just some, some stats. Um, Fabinho made 39 appearances uh, this season in the league and in the Champions League, 26 from defensive midfield. Um, and he got six goals and one assists during those games, average of 3.4 tackles, 1.3 interceptions per game. Um, over the course of the season, which is much, much better than any current Liverpool player. Um, I think Henderson was the one that had the best tally uh, with something like 1.9 tackles, uh, 1.1 interceptions, I think. So, again, that just shows how crucial bringing in someone like Fabinho is. And then you've got Cater, who you know, is creative. He's a real driving force. We've seen what he can do on the ball. He's capable of taking players on. He's got that creative spark and that confidence. And... and um, as Henry Jackson pointed out, 
you know, he's got that little bit of grit about him as well, and that side that okay, he's not really seen from Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, Fabinho in particular just is such an important player. As, as I said, I was like Sam, I never thought in a million years Klopp was going to go out and buy a defensive midfielder. I was thoroughly prepared for us not to go and buy one. So for us to actually go out and buy a specialist DM is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, I want to move on to talk about the two deals that in many ways kind of def- maybe more expected to define Liverpool's window and maybe in some ways still will. Um, and those deals are Fakir and Alisson. Um, and at the time of writing the article, from Dave's perspective, it looks as if both those deals were ones that potentially could be massive for the club. Um, but Sam, as we're looking at it now, obviously things change so quickly. And by the time this pods out, it might be that something else has changed. But at the moment, it looks like the Fakir deal is on, on, on a standstill. We don't really know what's happening with that one. So they might have to look elsewhere for an attacking midfielder. And the goalkeeping situation doesn't look like it's going to be improving anytime soon because it looks as if Alisson's off to Real Madrid. So we're currently in a situation here where these are two big signings in two big areas of the side that it does look like are going to get done at the cur- at the present time. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel as though the window, this encouraging stuff, the window is in danger of driving to a standstill? Or do you feel that the club have got what it takes just to go out and buy different players? Or do you, or do you indeed still feel that the, these two deals are deals that could yet get done and could yet end up being the defining deals of the, of the uh, window for Liverpool? If you go back four years, we unveiled the signing of Ricky Lambert, right? And back in those days, then I would have been worried right now. You know, I, I'd have been very concerned that it was the same old story. We'd be targeting big name players and they had no interest in coming to us. But the, the last two years, our record in the transfer market is absolutely fantastic. I don't think anyone in the Premier League is as good as us over the last two years when it comes to incoming signings in the transfer market. So that puts my mind at rest that this Liverpool setup, they're doing things correctly and they're doing things in a way which is going to lead to the correct players coming to the club. Um, we've had a few bumps in the road. I think we're probably pissing off a few clubs while we're doing it uh, because there was the whole thing with the Van Dijk situation. We've now had this happen with Fakir, the Naby Keita situation. None of them have gone smoothly, but we're doing what it takes to get the players to the club. And sometimes you've got to ruffle a few feathers in order to get them in. So whatever we're doing at this moment in time, it's working. I think what happened with Fakir seems to have been out of our hands a bit. And then maybe we got surprised with what's happened in the medical if, in fact, what the reports are saying are true. But I, I'm sure that the way that there's been such silence on it and the way that the Leon um, statement said uh, until Liverpool come to their senses, as if to say that, you know, that, that they would entertain another offer, even though they were kind of saying that he's going to be a player for next season. They've played these games before. You know, they did a similar thing with Lacazette saying he was going nowhere and about three or four days later, he was in an Arsenal kit. So I think that might be to be continued, wait till after the World Cup and I won't be surprised if we go in for him again. Uh, regards to Alisson, yeah, it doesn't look good. I think it's something that he, he might have had his heart set on going to Real Madrid and, you know, who can blame the guy? 
it's not something, you know, now that I've had time to calm down after kicking off with Carius and, you know, completely losing my head in quite irrational circumstances, but it, it, it's understandable, I suppose, it was a Champions League final. But there have been other circumstances which have kind of explained it. The whole concussion thing is a really big deal because, you know, it's, it's fact that the guy was concussed in the final. And that does go a long way to explaining the absolute howlers that ensued. You know, the first goal, especially when he just threw it to a guy in front of him. It, it was inexplicable. And I just thought at the time it was a clear indication that Carius was not someone who could handle it on the big occasion. And I thought he had just had to go. But the fact that he was concussed totally explains what happened. And all of his performances for the five, six months prior to that showed that he is more than capable of being a good keeper for Liverpool. You know, don't get me wrong, I really, really want us to upgrade on him. And if we got the opportunity, I'd want us to throw as much money as we possibly can in order to try and get either Oblak or Alisson or one of the other top, top keepers in if we can. But if we can't, I don't want us to just bring any old guy in. You know, I don't want us to bring in Butland. I, I don't want us to bring in someone like that. I'd much prefer if we just tried to develop, um, you know, a youngster coming through or something and, and sticking with Carius. You know, I don't want any big money thrown at a second choice goalkeeper. If they're going to sign a goalkeeper, I want it to be a, a guaranteed first choice, someone who's going to be an upgrade on Carius. So, yeah, o- overall, mate, I'm, I'm not worried at all with those deals potentially falling through. I have full faith in this Liverpool setup now to get the deals done that we need to get done. So I'm, I'm really, really relaxed for the first time in a long, long time in the summer transfer window, and I just can't wait to see who we sign next. Yeah, no, that's all. That's all pretty much bang on to be honest with you. That's pretty much what I feel on the matter. Um, just to add a couple of quick bits, I feel with the Fakir deal, I feel that's certainly one that I am maybe a bit more relaxed about both because I think it's more likely to happen at this stage than Alisson, but also because if it doesn't, I think there's enough good attacking midfielders out there, we can just go out and buy one. Or if we don't, we can go out and buy another midfielder who's maybe maybe just shift our structure slightly. I don't think we're necessarily reliant on Fakir in the same way that we are with someone like an Alisson. The thing, the thing about Alisson is, we, um, I'm, not sure if you, I'm not sure if you were in the group, if you uh, were paying attention to the group last night, because it's a World Cup group we're all in, and it, there's like hundreds of messages a day, so it's hard to keep track of it all. But yeah. Sam, Mag- Sam Maguire was talking about um, goalkeeping metrics and Allison's numbers are just absolutely unbelievable. They are like different level good. So from my perspective, I was really, really hyped about him. I think he is. I think he's genuinely the next day or the next Oblak. I know people think he's only a one season wonder, but I, for me, I think he is that good. And it's a shame that he's going to Madrid. So for me personally, I feel like that's a maybe not. It's not. I don't think it's a deal breaker. To clarify, I don't think it's a deal breaker. I don't think it's necessarily going to affect our window. But for me, it's a huge shame if we don't get that deal over the line, which we might not, because as you say, you know, if he's got his heart set on Real Madrid, there's not much other clubs can do about it. Again, I don't think that's a failing of the club. It's just a huge shame because I think the quality of the player is 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 that level that we need to be aspiring to. Um, the one point I will make, and I'll I'll get Leanne's opinion on this because I'm going to use it as a segue to our next point, which is wingers. If we can't spend big money on a goalkeeper and we don't spend big money on a goalkeeper. That gives us 70 million quid to play with, potentially, that we would, we would, that we already had earmarked for a goalkeeper. So if we are going to spend potentially 70 million quid on a goalkeeper, and that's no longer there, and this is potentially why I don't think we've nailed down the Shakiri signing yet. 
Um, if we're looking at wingers uh, right now, the sort of the wingers that we've been linked with in the last few weeks have been Jean Shakiri for 12 million quid, uh, Simon for 10 million quid, potentially Vader, uh, Yedes of uh, PSG, who'd be a little bit more, but he wouldn't be massively expensive, and potentially even Jelson Martens, who's now obviously potentially walking away from Sporting Lisbon, Sporting on a free which obviously is going to be a potentially messy one, but nevertheless, still one that we could get done on the cheap. However, Leanne, if we do suddenly have 70 million, suddenly that brings the likes of Pulisic or any other potentially world-class backup wingers back into play uh, to sort of operate as potentially a backup winger and as an attacking midfielder. So what's your your take on that? Do you feel as though we, we are still going to be prioritising a backup winger as a, as a cheaper option to allow us to spend more on goalkeeper or attacking midfield? Or do you feel as though we've now got if Alisson doesn't go through the funds to go out and spend big on a backup winger as well, potentially some future. Yeah, just um, briefly, just touching on you know the two big signings we're, we're mentioning here. They're they're players that have been mooted for quite a long time, and it doesn't look like Alisson in particular is, is going to come off. Um, but I don't think that people were necessarily thinking it was going to 100% happen. It, there was always sort of an in, inkling that someone like Real Madrid was going to come in for him. And I've always been as of the stance as Sam said, unless we can get someone like Oblak to come in, that Carrier should remain number one because he's had a season of progression and development. And so, you know, that will free up funds for players like Pulisic and, and um, Shakiri to come in. And as for Fakir, it sounds like Liverpool were put off by an issue with his knee. Um, I think there was an injury back in 2015 that was quite serious and he's had rehabilitation on it. But there's issues of, you know, how good that rehabilitation is and whether he can really deal with the, the rigour of a season. Um, which is fair enough, you know, we're talking about fifty million pound odd transfer, so there there is that element of risk and I can understand maybe why Liverpool were slightly put off. Um but as you said, I think there's a chance it could still be done. Klopp is still keen on him. Leon seemed willing to do business, um, more than willing to do business, um, according to some reports. So if not, Klopp has got a lot of alternatives he can look at and Edwards and Klopp themselves, you know, they're they're more than capable of bringing in quality players as we've seen. So you know, I'm very much of the same stance as the both of you. I'm, I'm pretty calm about the situation. Um, in terms of wingers, of course, if if Allison doesn't come, which it, you know it, it looks like he's not going to, and if someone like Oblak doesn't come in, that does free up a lot of funds, provided we're we're willing to keep with uh, someone like Carrius. Um, and you know, outgoings and things are only going to improve the amount of money we've got to spend. Um, in terms of wingers, you know, I'm not sure it's going to affect a move for someone like Shakiri. I think Shakiri's got a certain appeal um, purely because he's, you know, he's 12 million pounds. He's got that bit of Premier League experience. He's got experience at an international level. Okay, he's a bit sporadic. And originally, I was thinking, is this a deal Liverpool really should be taking? Is it really Klopp style? Where does he fit in? And I know a lot of people are of that stance. But again, 12 million pounds is a snip. Uh, especially in today's market. And so I don't think a move, you know, for Shakiri is dependent on whether we get or go out and spend big for a goalkeeper or for someone like Fakir. Um, other wingers you've mentioned, Jelson Martins is a, a very, very good player and someone we could get on a free. Um, okay, he's going to probably attract big, big wages, but a player of that calibre, we should definitely be looking to bring in. And that comes back to this idea of depth and, and the importance of the transfer window. Um, but, you know, I think it's important people will forget about it because it was, or it seems like a long time ago. But Coutinho's transfer gave a lot of funds to Liverpool. 
Uh, Cater happened a while ago, and so those funds have probably already been sent. Um, and we're going to have a lot of outgoings like Minule, like Gruitz, probably um, off to Lazio, it looks like. So, again, there's a lot of money to be spent. That's why I don't think Shakiri will be affected. That's why I, I think Fekir still could come off. And, you know, you touched on Pulisic. I wrote an article the other day about um, Ziyech. I probably not pronounced that right. But there are lots and lots of players out there that Liverpool could be looking at. Okay, so I'll sort of ping the sort of similar question to you, Sam, to sort of finish off. If we if we don't, if there's extra money spare, say we get someone like Ziyech, who's only 25 million quid, or say we some, get someone like uh, even the Jack Butler, which obviously I know none, none of us here are a fan of, but if we do, for example, go and buy a keeper for 20, 30 million quid, or indeed, as you say, just stick with Carriers, where would you see those extra funds going then? Because obviously Liverpool have got, as Leanne says, lots of money to spend in this window. So where would you see those funds ending up, potentially? Uh, one area we haven't really discussed is centre-back. Uh, is that potentially where you could see some funds going? Or do you think that we've kind of got our centre-back nailed down in the 30 million range? Yeah, preferably I would like us to get a, a new centre-back. Um, Alderweireld, I think, might be available. That's someone who apparently might be leaving Spurs this summer. Uh, <clears throat> I think it would be it would be good if we could get a centre back, uh, but for me, there are other priorities as well. Um, you know, we we do need another attacking player desperately. You know, I think it was really highlighted badly in the Champions League final. Salah came off, and we had Lalana going on, and the the drop off is incredible. You know, we need we didn't have anyone on the bench that could score a goal for us. So, you know, even Shakiri now would have been a massive upgrade on Lalana, in my opinion. Um, I think he's someone who is, has got a lot of potential and I think he's kind of been wasted at Stoke over the last couple of years. Uh, he's someone who I really wanted Liverpool to go for back when he, when he, he was with Basel before he'd gone to Bayern Munich because he played against Liverpool and, uh, I thought he had a lot of potential then. So I think he's someone if Klopp got his hands on, you'd get him in shape. And I think Shakiri is so confident. I think he's the kind of guy that would think he might be able to take the place of, you know, Mane or Salah in the starting lineup. He's that kind of player that I think he's got the confidence and the cockiness that you never know he might end up being a, a dark horse for this team. So, you know, that's something I'd be behind just getting someone cheap like that. But if they were going to spend big money, I think it's really important that they get, you know, he, he'd be kind of a side issue. And I think it's really important that if they can't get the Fakir deal over the line, that they do target another, you know, really big attacking player because the, the drop off at the moment, if the front three are not there, we, we go from being um, a well drilled unit into a team which is malfunctioning all of a sudden. Because of that one player, the drop-off is so big. So, you know, if we can go out and get someone like uh, Dembele, might be available from Barcelona because they want to make some money available to get in Griezmann potentially, that could be a sneaky deal, you know, someone we were trying to get last season. Uh, Pulisic is another one. I, I'm all for us get going for the really young, up-and-coming players because they have full faith in Klopp developing them correctly and, and getting the most out of them. So, that's something, if we were to blow big money on a player, it would either be goalkeeper or one of the attacking positions, basically. That's where I would really, really want us to do it, either attacking mid or, or one of the front three. Okay, so I will ping one 
final question to you, Leanne. This is just one last little bit, which is how important do you feel and how encouraging is it? The final sort of point of encouragement that uh, we're not that we are tar- we're not just targeting individuals. What we're doing is we are targeting positions in the squad where we can see an issue. So, for example, Klopp saw an issue in defensive midfield, went out and bought a player. Klopp can see we need someone to sort of replace Coutinho in linking the attack midfield. Goes out and looks in the care. Klopp can see that Karius is a problem. Goes out and targets Allison. So how important do you feel and how encouraging do you feel it is that Liverpool aren't just targeting big name players, but we're targeting big name players in positions that are clear problem areas? Yeah, I think it's huge and I think it shows a lot of awareness on Klopp's part of, of what is the problem. Because a lot of people have said, you know, why does he persist with players like Dejan Lovren or Karius? Because is he unaware of, of their quality and the fact that they're potentially not good enough for this Liverpool team and, and to go out into the summer and to really kick it off in such good fashion with that Fabinho transfer just highlights, you know, Emery Chan's off, we need someone here, let's go get someone who's potentially better than him, um, you know, and, and just get it done at a cheap cut price and beat your rivals to it. That shows he knows and has identified the key weaknesses, the key areas he needs to look at this summer. And again, all the links we've, we've had, OK, some of them will probably be rubbish, um, in terms of not actually coming to anything. But they're all to players of high quality. They're all to players in positions that Liverpool should be looking at. Then there's no real surprises there. We're not looking at, let's say, a right-back because we don't need a right-back. There's no idea of Liverpool spending money for the sake of it or looking at the wrong areas. And I think that's crucial. You know, we, we've sort of developed the way we're looking at these transfer windows and that's given us... A lot more confidence as fans. You know, we touched on earlier about how we're feeling about the summer transfer window. And all three of us kind of said, actually, we're relatively calm. And that's because people like Edwards and Klopp, they know what they're doing. They've shown and proven that they know what they're doing. They've brought in quality recruits already. And there's there's no reason why they can't continue to do so. And I know you wrote an article um, pretty recently about that. And, and Michael Edwards, you know, he's done really well and, and therefore should be respected and, and that's the key idea Liverpool are looking at quality players okay we may pull some off we may not pull some off but there is a real understanding of what this team needs now and that you know that can only bode well for the future yeah and Sam I'll go I'll go to you to, so you can sort of make your make your final comments and then uh, if you want you can go straight into your plug after this um, your take then on Liverpool's on the, the shape of the rest of Liverpool's window you're happy that we are targeting the right players in the right positions? Yeah, more, more than happy, mate. I think they, they've earned out trust over the last two years with the signings that we've been making. You know, Van Dyke and Salah, we got Robertson in there. Just the, the guys that we're bringing in are just quality. You know, they're, they're guys that we know they're guaranteed starters. And I'm more than confident that we're going to end up signing at least one or two other guaranteed starters to add to the already strengthened team. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really relaxed about it. Really, really confident. And I'm just looking forward. To, I'm almost wishing the World Cup away because I'm all about Liverpool. You know, even if Wales were in the World Cup, fair enough, I might show a bit more interest. But I'm already buzzing for the new season. You know, the, the fixtures have come out today now as well. Um, and you're saying about uh, giving my plug or whatever, I've actually written a reaction article to the fixtures today where I uh, do actually predict that we win the league next season, you know, spoiler alert. Um, so, so, you know, I think it's all about 
everything is really positive about this club at the moment. We might have just lost the Champions League final, but you know that that's a positive, not a negative. We were in the final. It's something that you know only t- teams like Spurs would dream of. You know they keep bragging about being above Liverpool in the league. Liverpool basically threw away the league the last two seasons when they've had European Cup finals just because they didn't have the squad in order to manage more than one competition at a time. Now, I feel that with the signings that we've started making and with a couple others, which I'm hoping we will make, we will then finally have the squad capable of challenging on all fronts. And I just can't bloody wait for the season to start. Okay. Some great, great stuff there all around. Is there anything you want to plug, Sam, before we, before we move off? Uh, so anything you've got coming out at the moment or anything that you, any other pods are on at the moment? Um, yeah, it's just that article, mate. I just wrote, uh, wrote an article today now reacting to the, um, to the fixtures being released. And, you know, in the, in the fixture release, it, it comes to light that every single Champions League match is, is followed by a home match in the Premier League for us. And I think that's a, a really big advantage for us and it'll give us a chance to actually not drop as many points as we usually do following the Champions League game. So, yeah, it's just, I've, I've written that out and it's out already today. And um, so if you want to give that, if you want to check that out or if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Sambo Evans. Okay. And Leanne, anything you need to plug this week? Yeah, so I've got an article out um, just about ZH and, you know, given the Fakir transfer fell through, if it's not picked up after the World Cup, he's a potential avenue Liverpool could explore. Obviously, we'd need to act fast. There's a lot of um, clubs interested in him across Europe um, and it remains to be seen whether he signs for one of them in the coming weeks. But, you know, I think that's that would be a fruitful avenue for Liverpool to explore. Um, other than that, I'll, I'll have a series coming up on AI about sort of tracking the progress of Liverpool's players uh, across the course of the World Cup and seeing how they're getting on with their respective countries. Um, and just keep listening to the pod. Obviously, we can't do it with guests uh, without guests such as um, Sam himself. So, you know, it, it's a credit to the writers and their work on the site. And, and thank you all, you know, for continued listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got <laughs> quite a bit out at the moment. Uh, uh, AI are doing a World Cup series of podcasts. I'm on the first one with uh, Guy Drinkle, who is, of course, uh, recording this one. He's on there as well, and Harry Sethi. And Guy and Harry and, obviously, um, Gags are going to be doing a lot of World Cup podcasts, so I hope you guys check those out. Uh, in terms of articles, I've got one out at the moment about Michael Edwards and how we need to trust him, as Leanne has already alluded to. I've got two more coming out in the next couple of days. One of them is again about the window. It's about how, even though the window feels a lot shorter because of the World Cup, there's still lots of room for Liverpool fans to be patient. And I've got another one out about the World Cup itself and um, how, whether or not the World Cup is a good or a bad thing from a Liverpool fan perspective, if you try and take out the sort of the, um, take out the uh, objectivity of it and look at it from a Liverpool standpoint, whether the pros and cons of it all. Um, but obviously we have to keep plugging AI Pro because it is an absolutely fantastic thing that Gags and the Gags and the team are running at the moment and there are so many fantastic pods on there. Um it, it really is an absolute bargain price for the quality of content that you're getting. So yeah, um go out and listen to an AI Pro podcast. You can get a free week uh trial and then if you like it obviously keep keep committing to it. Uh and yeah thank you so much for listening to this show. Thank you so much for Sam's coming on. And we will be back next week. I think slightly earlier in the week next week although we haven't discussed it yet. So maybe a little bit earlier in the week but we will be back next week for sure. Okay. Bye now.
Social Podcast Network.